Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I am Rob, and with us, as always, every week, Ed Katz. Ed, how you doing? Good morning, Rob Clark. Good morning, Houston. Good oh, morning, yeah. Houston. Good morning, Mississippi. Tell me again, what, what, what's, I mean, you're in the country, but what's the closest town to you in Mississippi? Jackson, Mississippi. We're 12 miles north of Jackson. Population of Jackson, because people here that I'm in Houston, they know big city. Jackson. This way. I don't think Jackson has a population. The entire population for the state of Mississippi is, drum roll, 2 million people and declining. Oh, ever really? I, yeah, ever since I moved here, the population is shrinking. I don't get it. I don't understand. You Are you saying you have that effect on people? I, I'm a negative leader. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Jackson, does it have a Dairy Queen? Oh, boy, that's a good question. I uh, haven't seen one. I haven't seen Dairy Queen anywhere in Mississippi. Is that honest. right? Okay. Okay, do they have a fast food type of, you know, McDonald's or anything like that? Oh, of course. Okay, not. okay. And, and I ask because I'm from a little town in Missouri. My wife always laughs because we have none of that in my little town. So I'm trying to get a perspective on how small Jackson is in Mississippi because in, uh, in Missouri we have two stop signs and a gas station, and she always laughs at that. Oh, well, I can tell you this. Chick-fil-A in Madison, where I live, is probably the most successful Chick-fil-A in the world. I mean, you wouldn't believe how successful it is. And it's just, anyhow, that aside. Wow. Okay. Well, let's jump into our podcast today. And obviously, people saw the title of this podcast. It's How to Manage Your Employees. So, Ed, I just want to jump right in, and I've got a question for you. You know, with your experience, uh, all the years you've done this and all the years you've done the IOMI and talking to so many, you know, managers in the world of relocation, um, what is the success of sales and operation managers in the moving industry? You know, these are two different worlds that have to work together. Yeah. And my response is from my feedback from teaching in-person seminars more than anything else I've taught over. 100 in-person IOMI seminars. And I got to know the, the people in my, in my seminars. My, my impression, my opinion is this. In corporate America, whether you're, you're in the movie industry or any other industry, we are great in America at delegating. In other words, this is your job. This is what you're to do. Do it. But we're poor at managing. We don't seem to spend much time going behind and measuring to ensure that the task is being carried out properly. In fact, I'll tell you this, I've met a lot of operations managers who have bragged to me, Rob, that they'll tell a supervisor what to do and not go behind them. And they're proud of the fact that, and they'll say to me, if he can't do the job right, I'll find someone else who can. In other words, they don't go behind them. They're, they're just too busy or they're, that's the male ego coming through loud and clear. So if you want to ask me another question, go ahead. <laughs> well, I want to ask you, uh, we, we talk about that and you, you're talking about, you know, what you've seen at other moving companies, you owned a moving company for a number of years, a couple decades. So, you know, knowing you, Ed, and kind of, you know, let's just say it, the standards 
the, you know, kind of bar that you set, uh, I'm sure you hired only the best managers, whether it be in sales or operations at your company. That, that would be fair to say, right? Yeah, right. Like you, you hear the hark undertone of sarcasm. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you, you went through the school of hard knocks in these categories as well? School of hard knocks. Terrible, <laughs> terrible incident. When we started uh, Peachtree Movers in Atlanta a lifetime ago, we had very prestigious Mercedes, Mercedes, I used to call them Mercedes, Mercedes-Benz trucks, and they were outrageously expensive. And I learned early on that I could not trust my drivers to check and test the oil every morning because it depended upon who taught them how to check the oil, whether it was their uncle or somebody else. So some of them would start the engine and while the engine was running would check the oil. No, that's not how you do it. And others, of course, had the engine off and checked it. So anyhow, I was smart enough, <clears throat> smart enough to assign the task, to delegate the task to my operations manager. And I said, hey, look, you know, you're supposed to come in every morning, 7, 7.30. You come in an hour earlier. I'll pay you for the time. I gave him a form to check. We only had at that time three or four tr trucks. I was just starting out. And check the oil, check the antifreeze, take a pipe and hit all four rear tires to make sure they're not flat because, you know, one tire holds up the other when the truck is empty. And everything seemed to hum. Everything was great. I didn't have to worry about who was checking the oil every morning. And every morning, like clockwork, my operations manager turned in the form. So, of course, not knowing that I didn't know any better, he uh, turned in the forms and I just assumed that he was checking the oil. Till one morning, uh, the drivers went out to start their engines and we threw something called a rod in a diesel Mercedes-Benz truck. <laughs> Let me tell you something. The truck was only like a year and a half old had low mileage. The dealer declined to pay the warranty on that. He said, hey, low oil pressure. You, you started this engine with little, little or no oil in it. I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. So I had a heart-to-heart -heart talk with my operations manager, and I found out after the fact the rest of the story. Here's what happened. Oh, probably about two months before the incident, he overslept and he got to work late. So on the way to work, he stopped at McDonald's. We had McDonald's in Atlanta and bought breakfast. And that morning, instead of checking the oil because he overslept, he ate his breakfast at his desk. Now, mind you, he still clocked in, <laughs> filled out the form, didn't check the oil or an antifreeze or the tires, but you know, ate his breakfast. Collect, on my clock. Collected his pay. Yeah. 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 He still got, that's right. Exactly right. And then I found out about a week or two after that, it was pouring down rain. He got there on time, but it was pouring down rain. So instead of checking the oil, he sat down, he clocked in, he ate his breakfast and didn't check the oil. So now let's fast forward. I'm getting all this after the fact. He, you know, he's kind of like tears in his eyes as he's confessing to Father Ed over here. So fast forward, 
He's now checking the oil about once or twice a week. He's always stopping for breakfast on the way in. He eats his breakfast at his desk, but he's not checking the oil. What happens is one of the times he didn't check the oil, somehow the oil leaked out. We start the truck, throw a rod, $12,000 later, labor and material or new engine or whatever it was, we had to replace the engine. What did I do? I fired the son of a gun. I'm not going to tell you what else I said at the time, but anyhow. I think people get the idea. <laughs> I was really angry. I was really angry. But you know what? I don't, I don't know if I feel guilty or what, but in hindsight and looking back over that incident, I believe in my heart. It was really my fault, not his fault. I created the process that was doomed to fail because I didn't go behind him. Okay, so here's the question. One, I want to make a statement. The School of Hard Knocks is an expensive institution. I mean, it's not cheap to go there. You agree? Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, it's not just, it, it was something that could have been prevented. And what happens now, you got, you know, 15, 20 guys, you're ready to dispatch. Yeah. Already loaded on the trucks. Customers are waiting for us. You got to go. Got to go. And we have no truck to got to go. I mean, all the ripple effects of working hard, not smart. So everybody knows you, Ed. Everybody knows that once you've, you know, taken a class in the School of Hard Knocks, you come up with a way. You come, you find a solution to kind of make sure these, these one-time lessons are that, one-time lessons. So I got to ask, you know, what did you do? What did you put in place, procedures and policies, uh, to make sure that your employees were doing what you were asking them to do? I'll be glad to answer that. Let me backtrack just for a second because okay. I want to have closure on this guy who cried. <laughs> okay. Confessing. I felt like a priest back in those days. I felt like, you know, Father Ed here when he was confessing to me. But what I did with the operations manager, I, the new operations manager was charged with the responsibility, among other things, to check the oil, the antifreeze, and the tires every morning. And what I did was on an irregular but consistent basis. If he got there at 6 or 6.15, I would get there at 7.15, 7.30, look at his forms that he filled out, take him back out to the trucks, and with him, check the oil, the antifreeze, and the tires again. And he never knew when I was going to show up and do that. And God forbid, I mean this, if there was any discrepancy between what he filled out and what I found, then there was going to be trouble. So he never knew, he never knew when he would have a surprise audit by me. And that's what I mean by managing versus just delegating. And you can split hairs and call it something else. But, you know, they used to say you cannot expect what you don't inspect. And now I get it. Now I understand. So you just asked me, how about the other employees? Well, I tried to set up a system where whether it was customer service or operations out on the job, the move or sales, I would show up and be measuring their performance on an irregular but consistent basis. They never, ever knew when Mr. Katz would show up. 
So if you want to ask me another question, I'll give you some, maybe some more specifics, but you know, far away. I totally get that, you know, showing up on a move, um, you know, consistently, but inconsistently, uh, kind of kept those, those, those workers on their toes, so to speak. They, they just knew that they had to perform because at any time they knew you, you could potentially show up and, and make sure they were doing things right. But what did you put in place for that kind of same measurement and management of your sales personnel? I didn't know. I just had a fly by the seat of my pants, as they would say. So I had wonderful salespeople. I mean, really great, wonderful salespeople. But again, I am from that school. I honestly believe in my heart. If people know you're not going to go behind them, what are they going to do eventually? They're going to take shortcuts. And in their minds, you know, they justify bad behaviors. So I love my salespeople. I really did. And they, you know, they were really important to us. But as much as it hurt me, I would... I would go behind them. And I told all my employees, hey, this is this is nothing personal. I mean, it's just business. I'm personally responsible for your performance and behavior. So I have to go behind you. It has nothing to do with trust. It's my job. It's my responsibility. So I'll never forget this as long as I live. I walked into one of my sales person's office. And I asked him, are we keeping you busy? You see, at our company, salespeople did two things. And I'm not kidding you. This is all they did. They quoted jobs and booked moves. They didn't, they were not responsible for new business development. They didn't have to dial for dollars, cold call. You know, they only did quotes and booked moves. And so we we try to keep them busy. We had that pipeline full all the time. We had a whole nother department that did the telemarketing, the cold calling and set up the appointments. No, the sales people set their own appointments, but we would keep the pipeline full of customers that wanted prospects that wanted an estimate. So one morning I went into my, one of my sales uh, person's office and I asked him, I said, I'm just curious, are we keeping you busy? Now this had, I think it was on a Friday. I said, are we keeping you busy? Oh yes, Mr. Cass, I'm really covered up. Great. I said, what does your schedule look like today? He said, well, this morning I have a big estimate to do. And then after lunch, I'm going back to make a sales presentation. And then later in the day, I have another estimate to do. So believe me, I got a lot on my plate today. I said, great, wonderful. And I walked away. I left his office. Two minutes later, I turned around and came back in. And I'm going to make up the name. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. But I said, oh, by the way, John. That was my salesperson's fictitious name. John, guess what? He said, what, Mr. Katz? I'm going to go with you today, okay? Oh, wonderful, Mr. Katz. That's great. And I went back to my office. So you would think, end of the story, right? About 10 minutes later, John sheepishly walks into my office and says, Mr. Katz, can we talk? Believe it or not, there is a tear running down his cheek from his eye. Mr. Katz, I told a little white lie. What happened, John? Well, I do have an estimate this morning, but at lunchtime, I was gonna get a haircut. And then after lunch, I was going to play golf with some friends of mine. 
I'm just curious, Rob Clark, if you were the owner of a moving company or the general manager, how would you like to handle that situation? I'm not, I don't mean to throw a hot potato at you, but I love this guy. I love my salespeople. I like my employees. And now I said to myself, holy moly, I can't trust them. But anyhow, how would you feel with that situation? Well, I'll give you the rest. I'll give you the rest of the story after you respond. <laughs> I, I will tell you the biggest issue would be what you touched on is the trust and, and you know, being honest with what's going on in their, in their work life. Uh, that would be my biggest issue. How to handle it. I mean, there needs to be a little bit more information, but I'd be curious to see how you handled it. Okay. Well, let me tell you, it blindsided me because I really love this guy. I mean, like a son, I love him. Anyhow, that aside, I said to him, I'll tell you what, you go get your haircut today, go play golf. And don't lie to me anymore. Okay. So Monday came along. I didn't go out with him. Tuesday, I walked in his office. I didn't even ask him, are you busy today? I said, John, I'm going to, I'm going to shadow you today. Okay, Mr. Katz. And believe me, he was really busy. You would think I'm going to wait another three or four months before I went out with him again. No. On Friday that of that second week that next week I went out with him again then I didn't go out with him for two and a half three weeks then I went out with him again a month later so he never knew when I would show up and go out with him and guess what I concluded that if he didn't know when I would go behind to inspect then I could expect that he's going to follow the drill and not lie cheat or steal from me because that's really what it's a form of in a way it's a form of stealing okay and i, I it had nothing to do with trust that's how i managed the sales people and i did it with all of them well let, let's let me you, you brought up a couple things that you know i'm thinking and i think people listening who might be in sales or might manage sales people are thinking um one is if you ask the salesperson how we doing how are we doing as far as keeping you busy, things in the pipeline for you as far as estimates and things like that? And they say, you know, Mr. Katz, you know, I've only had four estimates this week, and, and they were all on different days. I got nothing today, and it's Friday. How do you, where do you go from there? The second thing I would say is salespeople are going to go, Ed, you keep hitting this guy up on a Friday. Don't you know salespeople only work four and a half days a week? What in the world are you doing expecting a salesperson not to play golf on a Friday afternoon, not to go have a beer with his buddy? Uh, that wasn't our <laughs> business model. Sorry about that. <laughs> especially, especially since I've only played golf once in my life, and they, I swear to you, they said, don't ever come back. It took me four hours to play nine holes, and these people kept golfing through me, whatever that means. But anyhow, that aside, that was Friday meant nothing. It was a work, full work day for us. And, you know, you just have to define the roles, what their responsibilities are, and they had to know that they never knew when I would show up. I mean, that's my answer, that you just have to go behind people on an irregular but consistent basis, kind of like the IRS doing a random spot audit. That's who I was. Okay, so let, let's go through this. We've, we've talked about the, the operations manager getting the day started. We've talked about the guys and gals who are out actually working a job, how you kind of, you know, 
make sure that you can inspect to expect the services that you require from them. And we've talked about now the salespeople, but we have some other people in the office that help make, you know, the company run smoothly, efficiently, and, and you know, provide that great service and experience to our, our customers. So now I'm, I'm kind of getting into that customer service person. How, do you, how did you, you know, they're dealing with our clients, whether it be payables, receivables, or, or claims, or whatever it might be. So how do you deal with these types of, of workers in the office? Well, I can, <laughs> it's funny you asked that question. I don't think this customer service lady liked Mr. Katz very much because we had modular furniture, systems furniture, um, type of furniture in our support area for customer service. And um, what I would do on an irregular but consistent basis would sit in the cubicle behind my customer service lady and I could hear her. And by the way, male chauvinistic pig at cats, we had guys that over the years did that job too. But this particular example was a lady and I sat behind her and we had very specific scripts for everything. When somebody called us for an estimate, I wanted Rob, I wanted to capture why they happened to call us. Cause maybe we're doing something right. Or maybe somebody recommended us, right. Or maybe they saw our men doing a move, you know, in an office building, or I, I don't know. I wanted to know why people were calling us. So I gave a very specific script, which I role played, which I trained, which I handed to the customer service lady and we role played and she mastered it and she knew what she was doing and all that. She was great. <clears throat> Anyhow, the way we extracted that information was instead of saying, why did you call us for an estimate? We would say, I'm just curious. Did we move you before or did someone recommend us? Because if somebody recommended us, we would like to send them a thank you note. That was the way we extracted that information. You ask somebody an open-ended question like, Rob, how old are you? You're going to think before you speak. Well, I'm actually 52 years old, but I want everybody to think that I'm younger. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say I'm 48 or whatever. But if you say, I'm just curious, Rob, are you 52 or are you 56? And they say, oh, no, no, I'm 54. See, I, that's a better way of asking the question. So we really had a very specific script. So I now am sitting in the cubicle behind our customer service lady and I hear her on the phone and I hear her inquire, um, how'd you happen to call us for this estimate? And I see red because believe me when I tell you, she knew the script, she knew the drill. She just did what? She took a shortcut. Now she did not know I was listening to her. In fact, I'm not even sure she knew I was sitting in the cubicle behind her because we were all you know, facing the same direction. When she got off the phone, I said to her, excuse me, Joyce, I'm making up another name. Excuse me, Joyce, do you remember when we first hired you a few months ago that I taught you a script? She's staring at me. I'm staring at her. No answer. <laughs> and I said, do you have that script handy? And she had it. She opened up her drawer and she took out the script. And I said, would you kindly read to me what I taught you, which you told me you would follow when somebody called unsolicited and we were to inquire you know she said um and she starts reading it to me which is i'm just curious did we move you before or did someone recommend us because if somebody recommended our service to you we would like to send them 
a thank you note. That's a nice way of asking. And I stared at her and she stared at me and she started, I don't want to say she was crying, but she looked like she was going to cry. And I didn't say, oh, don't cry or anything. In fact, it didn't bother me at all. But I wanted, my management style was not to be the friend of my employees. And I really mean that. My management style was, it was less painful to do it right than to be humiliated by Mr. Katz. Now, those of you who know me, I would never humiliate anybody. I'm just, I, you know, I'm just, as they would say, sugar would melt on my tongue. <clears throat> but anyhow, I made the pain of doing it wrong more painful than doing it right. And I just stared at her and I was not happy. But anyhow, that's what happens when you do go behind and you find out, for, I don't know why she changed the script. I don't know, was she not motivated? She had the ability. But anyhow, that was my experience with customer service. So if you want to ask me something else, fire well, I've got two more questions that have come to mind. And <laughs> and one one is, uh, you know, I, I know our listeners, especially in the operations part of this discussion, are, are, are thinking, maybe thinking about this. Um, you know, guys go out and they know they need to work right on the job. They know you might come back and check on them while they're at the job. But, you know, I know I've dealt with, and a lot of operations people have dealt with, uh, trucks coming back, the back end, you know, maybe not being, you know, blankets folded, things put away, ready for that next day, uh, food, you know, you got to eat on the run, you know, you're going from origin to destination, or you just brought your lunch, and you're just leaving bottles and Gatorade and wrappers from food, or whatever it might be in the cab, which is, you know, awful. And the other one that would get me, uh, that frustrated me more than any of those others was coming back with almost no gas in the truck and pulling into the yard because we have to be ready to go out the next day and if we have to stop and fuel up that's just it just throws a wrench in our timing to get to the client's office so how do you handle those things well when i didn't know that i didn't know i mean one day i pulled one of our trucks away from the dock, dock so that another truck could back in. And I reached under the seat. Um, we had a, a very large employee whose name was Lucius. I'm not going to give his last name, but everybody know, knew Big Luke. <laughs> Anyhow, I could tell that he was the last one in the truck because the seat was all the way back. I could barely reach the pedals. So I reached under the seat to grab that rail to slide the seat forward so I could drive the truck away from the, the dock. And I got a finger handful of French fries and ketchup. Mm, I licked my fingers. It was so good. No, I did not lick my fingers. And that was disgusting. When I was really angry. And I started looking in all the trucks. And there were chicken bones. And do you know, at one time, we had ants, ants inside the cab. Now, think how smart ants are. How do they know there were chicken bones in the cab? How does an ant get into the cab? He doesn't jump up on this floorboard and climb into the cab he's got to go up the tire through the wheel through the axle through the firewall of the engine in through the floorboard up the seat or wherever it was to the chicken bones think how smart how do they even know there were chicken bones in there that aside so i sat down without knowing any better i sat down with all the supervisors and drivers and i asked them do you really like going out with a dirty truck and they all agree with me that 
you know, Mr. Cass, we need to tighten up with some of these new employees, you know, that they just won't keep the trucks clean. I said, well, look, here's the deal. New business model, new policy. The driver does not have to clean the trash of his fellow employees. But if they eat in the truck, which many times, you know, between ours and the destination, they'll eat on the way. They are responsible to clean their trash out of the truck, right? At the end of the day, y'all got it. Don't y'all want clean trucks? Yes, Mr. Katz. They all agreed. Everything was perfect. We never had trash in our trucks again. Now, do you believe that, Rob? Uh, no. No, let's say hell no. <laughs> <laughs> so a week later, I go and look in the trucks and they're just as bad <laughs> as they were before. So I had a meeting again. And what I was told was, well, Mr. Katz, when we got into the truck in the morning, there was already trash in it. I said, aha, I got to come up with a process here. The, these guys are really smart. I mean, they are smart. Smarter than I was. So I said, in the future, before you get into the truck, you look under the seats, you walk around the truck, you see any new damage, or if you see trash, you come right back in. I don't care how late we are at dispatch time. You come right back in and you tell me. Otherwise, if you take that truck out in bad condition, you're responsible for it. You get it? So that eliminated that problem. But this thing of pulling together as a team, and we all like to have clean trucks. That is just, in my humble opinion, a waste of oxygen. I, that doesn't mean anything. So what we had happen was this. Where we had our office configuration set up, one of our employees in the front office, I think it was an assistant administrative officer or somebody, could look out the window. And when a truck came into the yard, she could see that a truck was coming into the yard. So I set up a form that on an irregular but consistent basis, and I'm talking about like maybe once every two or three days, you know, in the morning or in the afternoon or whatever, when a truck came in, our employees never knew when this information gatherer, this administrative assistant would come out with a clipboard and here was the drill. When she went out to greet the truck, the entire crew had to stand next to the truck and open all, we had crew cabs, open all four doors, roll up the rear door, and she would walk around the truck, look under the seat, look in the back of the truck, and she would fill out a form like, you know, number one, is the inside of the truck cab clean? Yes or no? Ah, are both fuel tanks full? Yes or no? How about the rear of the truck, the rolling stock, the four-wheel dollies, the pads? Are they stacked and folded and all that neatly? Is there any new damage to the truck? And if any of these questions were filled out, with answers that were, you know, in other words, if there was trash in the front or if the, the gas tanks weren't full or if the equipment wasn't stacked neatly or if there was damage, any of those uh, popped up, then that driver, not the crew, that driver had the pleasure of sitting with Mr. Katz, that would be me. And I would stare at that driver and ask him one question, what is our policy concerning these trucks? And I was just shut up and stare at them and stare at them and stare at them till they wanted to like crawl out of their skin. Isn't that terrible? Again, I can't believe I would humiliate anybody, but the pain of doing it right became a lot easier than the pain of being opposite me and humiliated. You know what? It worked. I mean, the trucks came back consistently clean. We used to take our uh, trucks to UPS for service. And one time when I was picking up a truck, 
UPS, they, they had a truck depot where they would lease trucks, but they would service our trucks too. That's why I'm having this, this, this example. But the service manager said, you know something, Mr. Katz, we get a lot of different companies uh, that we service, the trucks that we lease them, and, and we have your trucks in here. I can randomly show you the cabs of most of these other Fortune 500 companies that we lease trucks to, and you'd be appalled. You, he said, but your trucks, they always are spotless when they come in. You know what we, you know what we feel here at UPS? That the condition of the truck is a reflection of how well the management of a company is. You run a tight ship, Mr. Katz. He didn't know what went on behind the closed doors. But anyhow, he was making a point that all these other companies, uh, they just didn't go behind their employees and they they tolerated it. And that's just what happened. All right, Ed. So let's get to the final question that I have um, for finishing up this podcast. Um, how did you get your managers, uh, whether it be operations or sales, to, to make sure uh, – the project and tasks that you asked them to do that they actually did those things. I think that kind of relates to the very first question of managing versus delegating. And remember I said, that it, not just for the moving industry, but in corporate America, in my travels and my experience, there's, this is another liability, another weak link in the way corporate America and the moving industry specifically follows up. I think that whenever I learned over the years, whenever I gave a, a manager a task, I always would ask this question, how long do you think it's going to take for you to implement, to adopt and implement or to perform this task? I'd ask them and they might say, well, give me uh, today is uh, Monday. How about give me until Friday? I, and I always would do this. Okay. You said it's going to take you five days to do it. How about if I give you eight days? How about if you, you, can you have this project done by next Tuesday or Wednesday? So I would give them deadlines, but I always gave them more time than they guessed and reacted to me. That, that's number one, set a deadline. Because I had a lady work for me when I used to go into her office, she handled, handled all our insurance issues with insurance agents, not just general liability, but everything, workers' comps and just everything, anything to do with insurance she handled. And I would give her an assignment. And if I went back a week later or two weeks later or three weeks later, you know what she would say to me? That's my next project, Mr. Katz. In other words, she never did it until I would go back week, two, three weeks later. And then, oh, that's my next project, Mr. Katz. So thanks to her, I learned. <laughs> How come they didn't teach us in moving school? Thanks to her, I learned when... I gave an assignment, a project to anybody, I would say, I'm just curious, how much time do you need? And then I would always lengthen it. So I said, okay, by next Wednesday, then you're going to have this project complete, correct? I found that that's still not enough, Rob. I found out that you don't wait till the deadline to walk in and say, well, let me see, the, what, what did you learn? Show me what you did. Because they may have had a hiccup along the way and never got past first base. So what I also learned was this, don't wait until the completion date to go back. I looked at myself as a support person for all my employees to help them become even more successful, happier in their jobs. So I would say 
for the person that I gave that assignment to that's going to be eight days later, three days into the project, I would go into his office and I say, I'm just curious, is there anything I can do to help you along the way? Can you show me the status of what you've done so far? Let me tell you something. Remember the lady that no matter how long I waited to go back to ask her, you know, did you complete it? That's my next project, Mr. Cass. Well, had I gone back three days later, she would have said, oh, that's my next project, Mr. Katz. At least I would have poked her, right? right. <laughs> it's like a little little cattle prod, like, you better get on it because I'm coming back again in two days. I'm going to get a status update. We need to go behind our employees. I know we don't have time to do it, but we got to make time so they know that, number one, you're in a support position to help them. And maybe they can't figure it out and they're embarrassed to tell you. I don't know. I've never been just an employee. I've always been my own boss, so to speak. So I don't know what it's like being on the other end, but that aside. So does that answer your question? I that, hope it does. That does, but it kind of gets me to another question. This, And I promise this will be it, listeners. Um, when we talk about managers and, you know, giving them a specific task that they're going to do and then, you know, report back to you is one thing. But they also have responsibilities as managers to, for the people that are under them, right? They have to make sure those, po- those folks are doing what they're supposed to because, as you always say, that manager is personally responsible for how those people perform. And, and uh, so I always think about in management, Ed, that, you know, giving somebody responsibility, if you don't give them some authority, it's kind of hard for them to succeed in that position because I've seen it where – you know, in, in an operation setting, you know, somebody might go, well, Mr. Cat scares me, but you don't. So, Jimmy, I don't care what you tell me. I don't have to do it. If Mr. Katz ain't here, it doesn't matter. I don't care if you are the manager, you know, but you walk in the room and he's going to jump to and, and do whatever, you know, because you're in the room. So how, how did you manage or, or how did you give the authority to your managers so that the staff working below them uh, knew that when these people spoke, they had to do it. I, unfortunately, I, in my travels, I see and have seen that our, our industry is infamous. That's not famous. That's notorious. We are notorious for giving responsibility, but not authority commensurate with or equal to the responsibility. You know, we'll say to the supervisor, you're responsible for the crew. You're responsible to finish the job on time for the price quoted, make the customer happy, make sure no damage, make sure nobody gets hurt. We give him that responsibility. And then we cut his legs out from under him when he tells the crew to do something. And they, just like you, Jay, you know, we're asking in your question, they, they do what they want. He has no authority. And, or, you know, or if they, if he says, I'm going to clock you out, they call the office and, you know, Jimmy's picking on me, Mr. Katz. Uh, so then this, the general manager or the owner of the company talks to Jimmy, the supervisor, and says, hey, hey, let the guy work. You know, he had a bad day. So we undermine the authority of the supervisors. I don't care who you were at my moving company, Peachtree Movers. If you were a supervisor, you had the authority to clock somebody off the job. And even if you were wrong, you still have, I would back our supervisors. Now we could have a hearing later and I could, you know, undo the damage that, you know, the guy was clocked off the job and had to either leave the job on his own free will and figure out his own way of getting home or sit in the cab of the truck till the job was over, you know, um, 
off the clock. But most of the time, our supervisors made good decisions. They let people know the consequences of the bad choices they were about to make, that if you don't do what I tell you to do, you're going to be off the clock. That's it. You're going to be clocked out. Same thing with an operations manager. If he told the supervisors that when you bring the trucks back, this is where I want you to park, and this is where I want you to unload the equipment, and this is what I want you to do. And if the operations manager got any pushback from that supervisor, that supervisor got to meet with Mr. Katz. And I would get to the bottom of it immediately. I mean, if, if people know the consequences of making a bad choice, why would they make the bad choice in the first place? So we were really consistent. They did listen because they knew there would be somebody of higher authority that would rein them in. So I think that's, but unfortunately, I don't know, with supervisors, it's like our industry just caves in to the whims of the crew many times. And then a poor supervisor is caught between a rock and a hard place. He's darn catch 22, darn if he does and darn if he doesn't, what is he going to do? So he's, you know, that that's, that's what I have. Seen yeah. And, and it's always tough because you know, playing a little bit devil's advocate, you need a guy that's, you need the guys to do the work, right? You need them there on the job. And yep. so if you get rid of them, you know, how are you going to complete the job? So to your point of it's a catch 22, that's, that's a fine line to, to kind of manage and make sure you, you know, people kind of walk that line and, and do it right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, good episode, Ed. That was a lot of fun. Kind of. Oh, you always, you always say that you're my, you're my best listener you're my best fan thank you so much rob i I think you're wonderful i am your your biggest fan absolutely (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the commercial relocation happy hour and until our next episode go sell another move goodbye everyone thank you for putting up with me for another podcast